How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Really nice. You know, for, for those who, who can't see this, Mark did a very, very wonderful mic technique where he pulled back from the microphone. Yeah. To give it, well, you know. it was fantastic. Love it. Gotta mix it up. We gotta mix it up, buddy. And we've got Ben, Benificent, in our studio at WATD. How are you, Ben? I'm doing wonderful, Dr. Joe. I hope all of you are also doing well. It is an interesting time, and I just want to say right away that we have an incredible guest tonight. We have had her before here, uh, probably about a year ago or so, um, author of a remarkable book, Always and Never, Lisa Shoemate. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Uh, when I got your text about coming back on, it made me realize where has the year gone? But um, I'm very grateful to be able to come and talk about it, especially when you um, position your work around the little changes we can all make, right? This book does hit to that. That's right, it really does. And I, I wanna get right to this because, you know, let's face it, we're in a really interesting time right now, uh, not just in the United States, but globally. There's a pandemic, uh, coronavirus, which I thought was going to remind people that is a great equalizer, that we're all here in the same tribe, humanity. And we also have this really important movement going on to remind people that yes, we really are one tribe and it is absolutely irresponsible for people to continue to segregate others and to say that one group is better than another. That has, has just got to stop and that's part why I wanted you here, Lisa, because I think the messages in your book are just so important. There's certain things that we should always do and some things that we should never do, and yet it's somehow so hard to do them. So, um, Lisa, can, can we just, like, could you just tell folks a little bit about your role there? Because you're, you're calling in from Houston. Um, you're the general manager of Houston PBS? Houston Public Media, that's right. Houston um, Public Media, PBS, okay. The PBS and NPR station for Houston. That's great, and your role with that, tell, tell us a bit about that first. Sure, absolutely. So I'm in my ninth year actually as the general manager of Houston Public Media, and it is licensed to the University of Houston in Texas. So many public media stations are affiliated with either state institution or some other university because when the FCC released some spectrum for public use, universities stepped up and, and wanted to be a part of that great experiment. So I've only been in the public media system nine years, but I, I sort of feel like uh, it's where I really belong. 
And that is because of the mission and the purpose of the content. You know, public media has always, through television and radio, represented the underrepresented. So as general manager, I oversee a staff of about 80 people. And um, I also am involved uh, nationally in public media through the PBS Board of Directors and a uh, large group of about 40 of the top television stations in the country that are public media. And some of them, like me, also have a radio station affiliated. And I'm the chair of that organization. And uh, we've had our meetings just, you know, in the last week on a Zoom call, you know, 30, 40 people at a time. And there have been some very heartfelt discussions around this. Uh, Everybody feeling, wanting, wishing they had done more and knowing now is the time we all must do more. That's it, period, the end. And so whether it's our case where we're running programming to help you know educate him um dr henry lewis gates i got to hear him speak today and uh, pbs is running his series on reconstruction he's got some other great productions in the works and with juneteenth being tomorrow we also have some other programming that uh, we think really aligns with people wanting to understand where we are now how how we got here but more importantly where we go next yeah I just want to, you know, point out the, the potential hypocrisy of this because it's a bunch of white folks talking about this. Of course. But you know what? I think the motivation is real. And, and the I am approach that you guys know I believe in says they're, they're, everyone's doing the best they can. And we're all in this together. But if you don't like what you're doing or what someone else is doing, we still have to try to understand why we are doing it why people do what they do because if we don't understand why how are we meant to change it and that really i think is what we can we can message you know we can do things so that we can make these changes and you know as the im says small changes can have big effects and maybe just this small change of us being able to talk openly freely knowing that there's going to be no judgment that's what it's about, you know, it's what it's about. So I want to get right to it. Um, do you want to just tell folks a little bit about Always and Never and the book? There's, there it is. Uh, Mark Stiles is holding it up for us live on Facebook. Um, but what was the inspiration for Always and Never? Absolutely. So it's always and never 20 truths to happy heart. And so I'm the mother of two children who are now grown. And I started this about really seven or eight years ago. And uh, I was at the time, what was on my mind was seeing a lot of young people in the workforce that I felt needed kind of guidance, encouragement or what have you. So I, I wrote down some things that I thought would be always and never for that. And I sent it to a book critic and they really didn't like it at all. And bottom line was, it was a lot of good workplace advice, but where was the heart? Where was the soul? So I I basically tore all that up. And I went back and started to write down just words that I thought were important, whether it was gratitude, forgiveness, um, listening, opinions. Um, I wrote down these words 
And then I started to do an always and a never all around it. The other thing that influenced my interest in really speaking to that age group that is graduating from high school or college is when I was in business school, I, would, I did a project and studied about the large group of people, we, we call them millennials, but the people that, young people who have been born really since like 1982, I think is the year, which they're now in their 30s, um, all the way to I think 95, somewhere in there, which then you have your Gen Zs that come along. And um, they're the largest group in the workforce, you know, bigger than the baby boomers now. And so I felt this was an important group and they never known when there wasn't someone that could go to the moon, that never known really a time um, where there wasn't a computer and so many other things that have impacted just as we were impacted when we grew up, uh, how they relate to the workforce. And it's a multi-generational workforce, right? But I wanted this to be compassionate and loving and also seeing what I see when I see a lot of young people entering the workforce is they, people will be critical and say, oh, they need a lot of feedback. No, they want feedback because they want to do well. They want to succeed. And the only other feedback they've gotten has been through their cell phone, you know, one syllabic answers, you know, it, I'm overgeneralizing. But they definitely want the human touch. And they, they like getting it from us boomers, if you will. So um, I thought it was important to, to speak to the fact of encouragement. And also I find that sometimes boundaries are difficult when you're in that age. Let's face it, it's the first time you are on your own, whether you're graduating from high school or college. All these years, parents, coaches, teachers, everybody's told you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. You're now doing it on your own. You have the freedom. You are also trying to make your mark, whether you're going to college or you went straight out to some other type of employment or training. You're, you're learning and you're setting a course for your future. And number three, it really does feel both just like high school in the peer pressure uh, and, and, and the wanting to perform and also like how am I possibly going to do what I'm doing now and one day maybe also have a family or also, I mean, it just gets to be a lot, the financial and everything. So I really wanted to just give some basics. Look, a lot is gonna change in the world. These things are never going to change. This can be a little bit of confidence for you, a little toast of encouragement for you, uh, but this is always gonna be true. And I know a lot of people, I will say, Dr. Joe, always and never, mm, I don't like those words, but I think you have to have some things in your life that you will always do and some things that you will never do. Those guardrails are the formation that will help you really realize your dreams and be able to uh, realize your potential. So in this day and age of uh, really so much fake news, let's get right to one of the, um, the always and nevers. And, and I've, I've asked Mark if, if he could Which number? read it. Number the one that says, always separate opinion from fact. Funny, I just opened right to that, I swear. Is that a fact? 
it is a fact. <laughs> okay. Separate opinion from fact. Never mistake opinion for fact. And that is true right now because that is our news cycle, right? Other than ATD, which we're which we're on, who tend to play fact, they they uh, play AP news. There's no opinion, but you turn on any of the twenty four seven news channels, they're not news. Their opinion, and they're trying to sway your opinion, and it's unfortunate that they call themselves news, and that and I leave none of them out. I turn them on to listen to opinion every once in a while, but I shut them off quite a bit when uh, the time is needed to shut them off, like now, ish. No, 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 no. Don't 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 shut up your radio now, guys. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, Lisa. Well, uh, you know, what I think is really, uh, and I've been in media my whole career, right? I've worked in commercial media uh, on the local level um, in New Orleans, in Houston, in Dallas, and now back in Houston. And um, what has never been really possible until the birth of the internet is that anyone can put a story out there. Anyone. And so depending on who you follow in your Facebook feed, you could see something that looks like a legitimate picture with a headline. And if you don't stop to take a minute to see the source, that's really where the fake news is happening. Um, and it can be everything, you know, usually that's very politically leaning one way or the, or the other. Uh, and it's, just out there to keep perpetuating uh, one view, one political position, and really more than anything to kind of stir up controversy or for someone to create their own group of following, you know, clickbait, if you will. And so what I say in the book is you always have to separate opinion from a fact because opinion is only one person's thoughts, just one person. And every research about decision-making and everything else says that if you will get a couple of points of view before you make any decision, not too many because that puts you in another kind of category of not paralysis of not being able to make a decision. But research shows if you just put three bits of information in front of you before you make a decision, you're more likely to make a better decision. So, I mean, there's, there's science on that. But the other thing is, how can your learning really occur if you don't take the time and challenge an assumption and research and go to a few sites and get the information? Your best source is you and the organizations that you trust. And I think it's important to read a couple of print, scan a couple of uh, the broadcast. And, uh, and then also you might want to do some research on papers that have been written out there. Um, and I think you will feel better about how your knowledge is on any subject. And the main never, never, ever, ever, no matter how esteemed you think someone is, never mistake that person's opinion for fact. And, you know, a lot of shows have turned to these, you know, 12 people on a desk panel and everybody will have an opinion and you don't really know what their background is until you take a minute 
and you really research it. And if after so doing, you think that person's information is worth keeping, you do that. Otherwise, no, they're hired to do a job, which is to give their opinion. And it's just that, an opinion. Sometimes it's not even their opinion. Exactly. What do you mean, Tom? Well, sometimes it's whatever they get paid to say. I'm not going to name names, but we each have someone in, per in minds that, you know, might switch, uh, switch platforms, switch channels, and they're saying the opposite of what they were saying 10 years ago. Probably making good money doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes your credibility um, carries a cash value. Which is so, kind of bad. You know, I, I feel like I have to at this point, I want to uh, point out that I, I do, I take a lot of pride for working for PBS and NPR. And of course, I'm aware that some people see that both organizations, probably more so on the all news side, which would be NPR than, than PBS, some people think there is a left leaning bias. And I, I think where that is generated from is the fact that public media has represented the underrepresented. And that has, you know, formed an opinion that there is a um, advocacy, when in fact, it's the stories, it's all Americans. The underrepresented are Americans, all right? I mean, they are the people of this country. It is the humankind. And so it seems to me that you want to have media that really does represent everyone, no matter how small of a delegation <laughs> that group might be uh, in, in numbers of that they have a voice. That's the point. That's what a democracy is, that everybody has a voice. And you know, Lisa, this resonates personally with me because almost 50 years ago, that's what I was doing without even realizing it on the PBS WGBH TV show Zoom which was a bunch of kids, you know, from ages of eight to maybe 13, 14 years old, um, all different heritage, and we were just hanging out together. And, and, and that, that was such a foundational experience for me. We're still friends almost 50 years later. Kenny, I know, will only admit to 40 years, it's true, <laughs> um, but it's almost 50 years. And, and I have this, this urgency to let people know how possible this is, that it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It just doesn't matter. It's, it's who the person is. I mean, we all have skin, right? We all have skin. Does it really matter what color it is? And so that's the part of why I think you're right facts versus opinions you know well you we know have these go ahead yeah no you're exactly right and you know you talk about about one small change and if ever there was a time for truth number two it this is the one small change everyone could make and that is to always listen before speaking mm -hmm. uh this is a time to listen it's really a time to listen for people who are trying to heal who are trying to deal with you know what we all witnessed a few weeks ago and um i think you have to listen with an open heart and an open mind 
it is it is a gift to give someone your time and attention, you know, where you're putting the devices down, you're making the eye contact, and you're really having empathy. I think this is an important time to listen to the hurt without judgment and us all get smarter about what we can do and more united about what we can do. And the never is to dominate a question. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it's so tempting to want to try to relate someone's hardship to something you went through. I don't know. All lives matter. Right. And you really can't equate that. This isn't the time for that. This is a time to listen. You know, I, I agree. And my concern is, as a psychiatrist now, getting shrinking, that people will listen and yet shut down because they will get defensive because they feel that they're being criticized and they will feel that they are being attacked. And if you feel that way, let me give you this potential insight. That may be exactly what that person who is talking has felt for years. They may have felt attacked and not heard and criticized for years. This is part of what we do in psychiatry. In all other fields of medicine, we have these instruments that we can look into people. We can look in their ears. We can look in their noses, in their mouths. We can look in places that most people would never want to look. But in psychiatry, you are the instrument. And when you have the feeling as you're sitting with a patient, it probably is a reflection about that person. We all have this capacity. It's just that some of us are trained, but it is intuitive and innate. And that is so important because people may feel criticized, but if you feel that, I want you to step back and feel that limbic response and put your hand on your forehead, keep it frontal, don't go limbic and wonder, oh my gosh, maybe this is my insight. Maybe this is my insight into this person in front of me and what they have been experiencing. Can you imagine that for a moment? What it must be like for people to live their lives worrying about what they're gonna say, worrying about how they are viewed simply because of the color of their skin I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Right. Um, And, you know, the other thing is inclusion, right? Where there is, um, when you say that one part about worrying and, and, and not being able to be yourself because you feel different, your experience is so different. And the other is that you can never then really be a part of the rest of the group if you feel like you can't be safe. It's not a safe place to talk. And so, you know, you said uh, one of your points is you with no one control, but you your control can influence a lot of people. You control no one. You influence everyone. Influence everyone. Okay. And that made me think, and it ties right to listening to number five, which has to do with building trust always do what you say you're going to do. If you say, oh yes, I want to have this conversation, but the first thing you're doing is defending or rationalizing 
you totally are going to break the trust. If you say, I want to listen, I want to hear, if you want to open yourself up to that, and this has been reinforced by conversations, again, we've been having across the system because general managers are wanting to have this conversation with staff and knowing that means you listen with your whole heart and you let the healing begin there and don't break that trust by not doing what you said you were going to do, which is truly listen because it will undermine everything. And then we can't achieve the progress and unity that we all want. That's right. And it, it's based on respect, you know, and, and again, you know, you think about the words respect, re again, spec, look, look again at why we do what we do. And that is the foundation of the I am respect leads to value and value leads to trust. When somebody feels valued, they're, they're willing to open up and make mistakes because they know you're not going to judge them. And we have been judging each other a long time. It is part of who we are as human beings. It is part of our evolution, but it doesn't mean we have to continue doing it. Once we recognize it, which is a thinking function, we don't always have to then live in this limbic world, this world in which we are just reacting. We're being reflexive instead of reflecting. Why am I doing this? Well, you know, Dr. Joe, and I have a question for you, and this came up, you know, we're now doing family calls, uh, my, my family every week, because we're all in different cities and, and um, we, right after um, George Floyd was killed, we had a call and we talked about white privilege. And I'm, I'm bringing this up to you because I, I'm wondering as it relates to, you know, that brain thing and that acceptance of it. I mean, you don't realize how privileged you are if you walked outside and, and when you saw a police car, you know, you just waved, you didn't worry that it was there for any other reason. Or you had to run to the grocery and that was a, a quick trip, you know, because you lived in a neighborhood that was economically interesting for a grocery store to be in, you know, and it goes on and on or the school, you know, that you went to, you knew was going to prepare you for high school uh, and college because it attracted good teachers and, uh, you know, the best teachers and, and what have you, all, just all the things that play into the things you can't control, like the zip code you're born in. So this idea of white privilege and how you think that is sitting with people right now in terms of whether that is a psychology thing or whether that is an intellectual thing. What are your thoughts? I'm going to answer that in perhaps an unusual way. Um, but with coronavirus, when it first started, at least here in Massachusetts, a person, a white person, would go into a grocery store, into supermarket, and there would be no toilet paper. And I know it seems like a really weird, like stretch, but for me, that gave me an insight into what so many people in this world have been living with for so long. 
that they don't have the things that we just take for granted. That for me is white privilege, where you do not understand and appreciate what you have. And so therefore you take it for granted, but it was an insight into, oh my God, there are countries, entire nations that don't have anything close to what we have. And for me, that was like, whoa, that's, that's not right. We need to be able to distribute things. There's enough resources to go around. Mm -hmm. The white privilege part, I think, is real. And I, that's why I said right up at the beginning, you know, for those watching on Facebook, there's a bunch of white folks talking right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not blind to that potential hypocrisy. But what we can do about it is something right now, is we can say, yeah, we've done this. We don't need to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But how do we change that? Because there are a lot of people who are afraid that if I give something up, I have less. But you know what? When you share with someone, you actually have more. Because now you've created a group of people who are in the same position. Like I say, you know, I will have your back, but with coronavirus, just six feet apart. Um, but, but that's where we're at. So, yeah, I, I have been a recipient of white privilege, and I admit it. The question really is, do I be ashamed of it? Or do I now say, you know what, I'm going to use this position to make a small change in the world. And that's why, again, I go back to Zoom. I know it's silly, but but I've been friends with, with folks for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Never, never once did I think, oh, my God, you know, I'm better than them. But we were given opportunities that other people have not. And that we need to change. People need to have the opportunity to get a good education, to then take that education and get a good job. We're doing this at Riverside Community Care right now. I'm so proud of what's happening there. We are, we are absolutely tackling the inclusion and diversity and recognizing that even for our group that has pride in helping the people who need the help the most we still don't have the type of leadership structure that we need. But we are now doing something to change that. Small changes can have big effects. You control no one, you influence everyone. So we need to do this. We need to make this change. So I'm not sure that answered your question, Lisa, but it certainly uh, has not escaped my notice of, of what this privilege really is all about. And how do we, how do we now share what we have um, and realize that, that we only have it because we took it from someone else. And that doesn't feel right anymore. That just doesn't feel good. So. Right. Well, you know, the, the other things, you know, that we can do is uh, the way, the only way you can change anything is to change the way you think about it. So the big step we can take uh, and people are taking is changing 
the way they think about it just by being more aware of advantages we've had, other people haven't had. And so when you start to change the way you think, it's really the only way you can change your life. And I thought that was another really important message for young people, because you never know what you might have grown up with. Uh, and we all have, and you know this in your world better than I do, self-limiting thoughts, right? I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. And maybe you haven't even really tried that or your expectation is if you're not great at it, you should never do it. So then of course it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you can never get good at something you can't practice. And so I thought it was real important to talk about always be in charge of your thoughts mm -hmm. and that the way you think drives everything. It, it drives your thoughts, your actions, and then the outcomes. And so that was another thing that I, uh, I really thought was important and that if your, your thoughts need to be informed by healthy relationships and education and reading a diversity of opinions and having a diversity of friends. And this is also about, you know, the people that are in your life, that they contribute to your uh, idea of who you are and what you can be and all of that fuels uh, being in charge of your thoughts. Yeah. And again, th this is part of why I wanted you back here, Lisa, because it, it, it really dovetails with the I am approach mm -hmm. because the I am approach is asking you to look again at why you do what you do and wonder instead of worry and look at the influence of your, of your actions, the influence of the home domain, your social domain, the biological domain and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. We are taught about differences, but that's not how we were born. We're not born thinking about differences. We're born almost without any thought about that. If you go, you go and see a baby, if a baby is crying next to another baby, the other baby cries. They don't have a separation yet, only later. And then those things get taught and we get taught. You're part of this group, not that group. We have to be able to reflect on that and understand that, no, we're part of one group. It's called humanity. Let's do this. Mark, you got any thoughts on this? Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, we were talking about Zoom 1972. Yep. And that speaks to where we should be now, right? The, the, the relationships that you all as kids had in 1972, you would think we would have, we would have made it by now, right? I mean, that was 50 years ago, but Lisa, you know, you talk about the white privilege. Do you, are you experiencing guilt with that? or the people you're talking to, are they experiencing a level of guilt associated with the privilege? Because that needs to be talked about too, I think. Well, I think, I think yes. I think yes, because I think everybody in hindsight, remember a time or a moment where you, and I'm, I've never been a person that, I mean, you know, any personality test would show you, I've, 
not good with conflict, right? Or being overly assertive. I'm, I really like everybody to get along, whatever. Well, anytime that is meant being quiet or maybe I should have spoken up, of course, I feel guilty about that. I feel guilty for times where I might not have had an abundance mentality, right? Where I really, you know, there is enough for everyone. There certainly is. That's the abundance mentality or the scarcity mentality, win and lose, right? I win, they lose, I lose, they win, that kind of thing. So I feel guilty. I feel there were times I could have been way more enlightened and way more proactive. Uh, and I think it's, I think if I don't say, yeah, I feel guilty and wish I had done more, that's the first step to the awakening that next time you go, you do the extra mile, you go there. You, you make people uncomfortable sometimes. And, you know, yes, there have been times where I have, uh, I, I feel good about the stand I, I had to take um, regarding some employee stuff. It wasn't at this current job, uh, but someone was being discriminated against in the office by a coworker, teased, if you will, and, uh, and definitely took immediate action on that. But yes, I wish I had done more. And the good news is I know that now that I, I realize that and I'm becoming awake to more things that I can do and more things I have to be grateful for, it makes me want to uh, get more involved. And it's so important to stay involved once you choose to be involved. And again, from, from my perspective as a psychiatrist, um, guilt is a really, really interesting response. And I think guilt is very often a defense against another feeling that is even more overwhelming. Off air, Mark uh, and Lisa were talking about, you know, our growing up years and the privilege that we had. And, you know, do we feel guilty about it? Because was there anything that we could have done? I mean, I couldn't choose the family I was born into. But that is an expression in some way of being powerless. And powerlessness is the most difficult emotion for a human being to tolerate. Because a few million years ago, if we were powerless, we were lunch. We were about to be eaten by a predator. And so our limbic system activates this irrational, emotional part of our brain. My God, I'm powerless. I don't want to feel that way because I don't want to think about dying. So we make things up. We make things up. I should have done this. I should have done that. That's what guilt is. But in this case, folks, you don't need to feel guilty. You just need to change something. You're not powerless. Right. And the guilt, I think, is what is going to immobilize us as if we were powerless. As well, if guilt, somehow. Go ahead, Mark. Guilt implies that you've done something wrong. Right. right. And, and yes, we have in some ways. Right. We've been complicit. But, and, and we can't excuse it and say, well, I didn't mean to be. Sorry. Because as soon as you say that, then you're really complicit. And then you really, now you, now you really got to take the responsibility for it. But we can make a change, and we have to. It is so long overdue. You know, 
I mean, one one of one of the things, and always and never, it's, it's it comes down to that golden rule, right? Yes. Do unto others as you would have do unto you. Today, a very smart woman who's in charge of our diversity and inclusion group, she told me something. The platinum rule. Do unto others as they would wish you that they had done to them. So it's not doing to others as you want them to do like for you, right? But trying to figure out what does somebody want you to do? That's it. And do that. That's, That's the platinum rule. Mm -hmm. That's even more than the golden rule. Because in order to do that, you have to understand what that other person wants. And for that, you need empathy. And to be able to really understand. And the only way you can do that is to follow another one of Lisa's rules. To listen. So I am so grateful to this woman, Angela Callahan, who has been teaching me at Riverside Community Care. Teaching me about another way, another perspective. We have to be able to do this. Now is the time, folks. And I would like to think that we have these always and nevers, but I'd also like to think that the I am approach is the way for you to get there. The I am is saying you're always doing the best you can with the potential to change the very next second to another best you can. You don't need to judge yourself as doing bad but understand why you did what you did. And if you don't like it, you can change it. You look at the four domains. What small change do I need to make at home? In the social domain, in my biological domain, in my IC domain, so that I can be part of this movement that's taking us really to where we've needed to be for a long time. Our brains, unfortunately, are designed to compare sets of information. We compare one thing to another. It's what's kept us alive. The, the ancient human who did not recognize that there was a change in the bush behind them that was now rustling may have been lunch for a predator. So change is very, very, we are finely tuned to recognize change. But that doesn't mean we need to say that a difference in skin color is something we need to be afraid of. That's gonna take thinking, not just feeling. We gotta really think this one through, you know. Can't help it, I'm going on and on and on. Well, you know, you said something, uh, uh, the word uh, powerless, and you're right, we're, we're not powerless. I, I thought that was a great explanation about guilt and, and what's behind that. And another way when you, you say, you know, you were born and wherever you were born and, you know, stable home, whatever, you're right. You can't predict any of that. What has happened now is whatever your experience was in life, we all had different ones. We now have had a shared experience. We now have visibility to something that we didn't have visibility to before. You might have heard it or you see the news and you're just not emotionally tuned in, intellectually tuned in. It's just a day, you've got your other priorities. But we now have more visibility to um, the challenges and the systemic problems that have existed for African-Americans than we have ever had before. 
And so with that, you now have the power to see and learn more about the things you can do in your life, whatever those are. Even if, you know, I mean, the most important will be changing the way you think to some extent and re-looking at some things you thought you knew, but maybe you really didn't. So um, that to me represents what has happened over the last three weeks. And then speaking of that group that these books were written for, our young people, they're the ones who've taken to the street of all, you know, shapes, sizes, colors, races. Um, it's probably predominantly been, uh, you know, people under 40, I would say, uh, which really gives me hope for the future because this generation and, and one of the reasons I'm really interested in them Uh, both millennials and Gen Z's is they want more than money. They want more than money. They want all the things that make a, you know, a a better world, whether it is the environment, whether it is social justice, whether it is companies that have consciences, uh, whether it is the fact that you can have career balance, career harmony, whatever it's being called. Uh, whether it is, you know, we saw this week the um, LGBTQ uh, Supreme Court decision. Huge. Made all states, you cannot discriminate at sure. work. So that's what is happening right now. Yeah. Uh, big change and big ideas around this idea that we are all part of that human tribe uh, that, and we are all equal and uh all children of god whatever your faith may be well we're we're diverse and that needs to be embraced but we've got about a minute left we've talked a lot about small changes can have big effects but you control no one you influence everyone lisa schumann what type of influence are you hoping to be um a positive influence uh, one that, that helps see what's possible and uh, that gives people hope and faith and even to experience the joy that we have each day. Gratitude. These are all the things that are in, that are in the book that I hope create a positive framework for a healthy, balanced yeah. life that is to your potential. And how do, we, how do we get to the book? How can people get it? Well, thank you very much. It is on uh, Amazon. Uh, I have an author page on Amazon, Lisa Shoemade on on Amazon, or you can just Google Always and Never, 20 Truths to Happy Heart. There's a book and there's a journal for people who like to journal. There's some prompts there. That's great. I want to thank you for this wonderful conversation tonight. Thank you so much, Thomas, Mark, and Dr. John. It has been like Ben, thanks so much. Stretch the kindness.